Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Nice. Hello. All right. Welcome back. Here Peak we Speak. Yes. Been a Monthly while. episodes. Are we up to that at this point? I feel like it. Yes. I feel like we earned the right to do monthly episodes. We've been doing this for years now. That's right. And thank Us. you for still tuning in. Yes. And if you're not, fuck you. Whoa. Well, they're not going to hear it because they're not tuned in, so it's fine. Okay. It's the best kind of harmless joke. Anyway. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Oh, uh, yeah. Life is reasonable. Although, as I said, I'm infuriated by the idea that we ran a comp on Sunday in 37 degree heat. And then I'm going to the beach this weekend and it's going to be raining in 23. So that just infuriates me in a way that I can't explain in words, but... Beyond that, otherwise, things are good. Yes, life is a harsh mistress sometimes. Mm. Although less harsh when, like you, you've got an empire of air-conditioned gyms to live in. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have it any other way. Tell me what's really fucking annoying. He says, having had it exactly the opposite of that for many, many years. <laughs> for 10 years. years. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell you what's really annoying is when I, when I moved to this space on the Gold Coast in 2018... I think maybe six months after I in, I invested in big ass fans, like two giant fans on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, it was sixteen thousand dollars. It was very expensive for these big ass fans, and the air conditioning that I installed here cost less. Fuck uh, of course, it's, it's going to cost more to run, but uh, it costs less put, to like, put in the air panels conditioning. and shit on your on your unit. Well, I wouldn't because I I leased this place. Yeah, yeah. That's and. Fair. I don't know if I'll still be here when it when it runs out in two years. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, that would be wise. But honestly, the uh, modern air conditioning units are so efficient. It's yeah, it's yeah. not actually it hasn't been that expensive to run it in summer all day every day uh, so far. The electricity yeah, nice. bills are nowhere near as shocking as I thought they were going to be. So yeah, well there you go. Good so to know. I'm, I'm happy. Excellent. Excellent. Have you um, had coffee this morning? Was it Prism? I it should have, have been. had plenty of coffee this morning and it definitely was Prism. Uh, it was a new coffee from Peru that didn't have a proper label on it yet because the printer wasn't working or something like that. And no, also you're always getting this this off-label yeah, well, experimental stuff. Uh, Jono, the guy that owns Prism, is um, back to training at the gym regularly so nice. he just turns up with coffee on a regular basis i've been told there's some very fancy single origin stuff coming in the next week or so which is exciting uh but also he got me uh, a fancy new set of scales and oh that's where those you know, came from yeah and uh wholesale prices amazing um and what was the other thing oh a fucking little stainless steel dosing cups um, I can't tell you how much these tiny little fucking stainless steel things have changed my life already. Because I used to like uh, weigh the coffee or like grind the coffee into uh, just like a little square Tupperware container to like weigh it on the scales and then put it in the porter filter. Yeah. And 
having got like the little dosing ring that clips on the top is heaps better because it, it pours straight in it doesn't fall everywhere but it's super staticky because it's plastic whereas uh, these stainless cups don't create the same static and they yeah. drop straight in and it's just like i'm now at a point where my like little coffee espresso workflow is like real dialed in and it's super satisfying which is also dangerous because it means i'm just pounding coffee like it goes (laughs) out of fashion because it's right there and i'm like you know doing heaps more work at home at the moment because it's just easier than coming to the gym during the day and um yeah the coffee machines literally a step and a half from me so as soon as my dumb adhd brain's like nope stop paying attention i'm like fuck it may as well make another coffee while i'm here so it's like (laughs) midday and i'm five coffees deep and just a bit wired but yeah tweaking yeah life's good but you should also go and buy some delicious coffee from our good friends at prison coffee co using the code peak speak that's right save some money it's delicious that's right so i had uh pro roar on the weekend yes you did not come this year unfortunately for me uh but it was a comp and that's my story uh (laughs) what wasn't quite as hectic as last year last year had a couple of really really big days um, like this in year, terms of total numbers and stuff or yeah just long days because yeah, they they start the comp relatively late they started at 10 30 a.m um which i mean you start your comps relatively late but you have less flights and, and do them really yeah, fast yeah. I, I started our apl comp at 11 i walked out of the door the gym at four and had yeah. a beer in my hands by 4 15 but we only had like 30 people so. yeah 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 so there were four flights of 15 to 16 on the on the sunday and we started at 10 30 so we went out of there till close to nine o'clock uh it was a big day um but the other days were relatively quick and smooth um it was sick i i did a full recap on the zero podcast so i'm not going to go through every one of my lifters right now but one thing i do want to mention or one person i do want to mention is just joseph whitaker he went back to back thousand kilo totals two weeks in a row went 1055 the weekend before uh and then 1025 at pro raw just just for fun entered his last minute two different continents they had two different countries as well no 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 the the thousand fifty five was in new south wales so oh, diff- right different right. state he, uh, i don't know if he flew or drove there but uh you know if he drove it was 10 hours away or something like that yeah either way that's fucking impressive yeah yeah wild and pbs like so pb total with the thousand fifty five and new all-time 140 kilo record in australia and then pb to squat the following weekend at pro raw so two weeks in a row squatting over 400 kilo, just wild guys yeah. are workhorse absolutely insane and still cracks me up because he looks exactly like a super action strong bronson. action bronson yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's I, ex- I described him as that to someone they were like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so so pro was cool there's a bunch of cool lifting uh sarah rainbow was phenomenal totaled over 700 kilos yeah that's benched 170 insane. kilos just wild um mitch lee totaled a thousand in the 125s uh he's looking very very large and very chunky and just had amazing lifts will crozier back on the platform yeah uh, 110s oh yeah it was it was a fun weekend yeah nice excellent all right what are we talking about today uh yeah so because we're professional podcasters after however many years it is and however many episodes we did that thing we do, which is come up with a topic about eight and a half seconds before we press record. And by we, I very much mean I came up with the topic. Correct. Uh, Thomas is too busy running gym empires to come up with topics for podcasts like a pleb these days. So here I am carrying the team. Uh, so yeah, the other day I put up a reel on the Burley page uh, talking about leg drive and the deadlift. And it was actually just a... Um, 
a clip I'd pulled out of some footage of a coaching session I was doing with a, a relatively new guy. It was our first session deadlifting. So we'd done a couple of sessions prior to that with squat and bench stuff. But uh, yeah, it was literally just a clip of me taking him through a drill that I use quite a bit for helping people understand what leg drive and, and pushing through the floor in a conventional deadlift feels like. And you can go and have a look at it on the Burley page. It's I think I even pinned it to the top because I'm all about that clout life. Uh, nice. It is essentially just getting people to set up in their conventional starting position and then let go of the bar. And I just stand behind them or next to them and uh, put my hand in the middle of their back and get them to push into my hand and, and sort of apply pressure using their legs like that. And for a lot of people, that seems like a really foreign movement initially, but I've found really good success with it. So talking about that more broadly from a, a coaching standpoint about how we how we describe things and how we get people to do the movements we want them to do. Also touching on the idea that I think sometimes I'm certainly guilty of this and I know lots of other coaches would be as well. Just like underestimating how far above average most of us are when it comes to an awareness of where our bodies are in space. I think that's one of those things that I have definitely taken for granted over my life is is how influential growing up playing sport has been on my ability to feel where my body is in space and put it into different positions, but then also learn skills and, and do things like that. So mm. I figured that as a topic is broad enough for us to waffle on about for a while in yeah. either a productive or non-productive way. We'll find out 30 to 40 minutes from now. Absolutely. Yeah, it, I mean, like, like it, uh, it kind of stems from where we need to think about queuing as a whole. Yeah, uh, I, I hear a lot of stuff, especially these days now that everyone has a platform around, uh, you know, add external constraints, stop using queuing, stop using internal queuing, just chase the constraints. And to me, very much that feels like the statement. Uh, I've tried every diet, nothing works for me. Like mm. if you if you cannot come up with language to elicit the biomechanical response that you're looking for in someone, you're going to come to the conclusion that there's no language that can do that. And the reality is, is that cueing the stuff we do in squat bench deadlift should be as simple as cueing someone how to blink or how to do a bicep curl. Like these are actually very simple series of movements. Yeah, there's there's complications because of the you know, multi-joint nature of these movements. But once we understand what our gold standard is and reverse engineer that, they should be relatively simple. Like in a good looking squat, there should only be a few moving parts. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I break down cueing in, in three ways. And the second way that I'm going to bring up is probably what's going to resonate with you and what you were talking to me before we, we started recording, which is the first way uh, I saw, I call the, the top level of cues developmental cues. And these are like the, the uh, building block cues. Uh, and in my system, I, I break down every movement into three biomechanical rules. So these are the cues that speak to the, the biomechanical rules. And these are like the foundational cues that build up for me, what the hips do on squat, what the bracing does and what the upper back does. And mm -hmm. that's going to be pretty similar for, for bench and deadlifts. The second level of cueing is feeling cues. Yeah. which is which is talking to exactly as it suggests how someone should feel what they should feel when performing these cues and this is super important in terms of extrapolating the coaching process out over a period of time uh, because if i if i'm taking you through a session we can't assume that even if i have the most perfect cues to unlock this gold standard squat or bench or deadlift or whatever it is that you're just going to have the ability to do it 
my, my goal with you is to move you in that direction and to yeah. assess what needs work to get you towards that gold standard. So I, I do that and I assess that. And then I have to think, okay, well, you're not going to be babysat by me every time you do this lift. You're going to go away and try it for yourself. And your brain, when you go away and start training, is whether you like it or not, going to move you back into the direction of what's natural, comfortable, and familiar. Mm. So when you go and do these cues that have changed how things feel, you're going to be like, that doesn't feel normal and slowly revert back. And you've seen this as a coach. I've seen it as a coach. Every coach has seen this where you fix something, they disappear for a month, they come back and it's back to where it was. Like how yeah. we, we went through this. Why is this like this? Yeah. And so feeling cues provide reassurance that people are doing the right. Oh, he said it was going to feel like this. He said, when I start to use my legs, when I deadlift, when we were doing that drill, pushing into his hand, he said, it's going to make it feel a little bit harder off the floor or yeah. slower off the floor, something like that. And so that's going to provide reassurance that they're in the right position, doing the right thing. And it is a real, what you were just saying before about your experience in, uh, you know, putting putting yourself in different positions and your sporting background and everything i think one one thing and you can correct me if i'm wrong that i'd add to that is you've now had almost a decade of coaching lifting where every time you've gone through cues you've then gone and practiced them on yourself and you've yeah. had a higher level of thinking about how things feel when you're training because you have to teach people how to do this stuff so you're yeah. very aware of what your body feels like what it does and being good at articulating that i think is the difference between uh, good coaching, great coaching. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that, that was going to be the next layer to that is that you can see, you can see someone who is an athlete, right? And I've had this discussion a lot about with people recently about the idea that like, we're sort of born with this innate understanding of like what good movement is both in terms of like how it feels, assuming you're aware enough to understand that and also what it looks like. Almost everyone I've coached has walked in and we can talk about like, yeah, you've watched sport at some point and watched someone play and been like, that person's just got something I don't. Yeah. You know? Like I I had a professional rugby team in here the other day, the Moana Pacifica, which was cool. But, um, oh, cool. Yeah, they came and uh, did a training session before the Brumbies pumped them, um, <laughs> which was great. I wore my Brumbies jersey to the session. It was excellent. Um, it made me, the business owner in me was like, you probably shouldn't do this. And the Brumbies fan in me was like, fuck them. And so I did it anyway. Anyway, uh, I was talking to the, one of the guys, they're, they're like strength coach. You know, like I played rugby for 10 years. I'm still rugby mad. I fucking remember the day like distinctly remember the day where I realized I was never going to be a professional footy player. Cause I went to like an under 16 schoolboys, you know, ACT trial thought I was okay at footy. and was like, Oh, there's a bunch of these guys that just have something I don't. And none of them played professionally, you know, like some of them played at a high ish level, but none of them played professionally. And it's that recognition, no matter how into some sport you are, you can watch a sport and be like, that person has something, especially at the high levels. And interestingly, in like, if you watch, say, female rugby at the moment, you can see some of those women are fucking freaks, right? And you can see it in that because there's such a big skill differential between like freak athletes and the average player. Mm. But even then, you get a like a, a good or, or reasonably well qualified athlete walk into the room, <coughs> and you can see that they have an understanding of where they are. And they can move well and they can generally pick up skills well, but they don't always have a really good awareness of what's going on or what they're feeling because 
Yeah, the the thing they talk about like a, as a coaching joke is like you don't want Usain Bolt to teach you to run because at a certain point he's going to be like, what do you mean you can't run faster? <laughs> just run faster, right? And it's that thing where like good athletes are sometimes good athletes despite what they've been doing and, and haven't really thought about it, right? So I think you're right when you say that that it's a it's a curiosity right i like exploring how my body feels and moves and you know going to things like david gray's thing and getting a a a different set of eyes and a different framework for how to think about it and then coming away just practicing a whole bunch of these movements as an exploration thing right and that for me has been the enjoyable part about having training that's not centered around a specific goal at the moment is Hmm. just being able to explore stuff for fun and i think that is like you said, the thing that makes the difference between a, a good coach and a great coach is having had that time to just for the sake of, sake of exploration, exploring what it feels like to be in these different positions and different exercises and an understanding of anatomy that then helps you understand the muscles that you're feeling and the ways you can alter movements to change how they work and, and things like that. But it's something that if you haven't spent that time doing, it's really hard to teach anything outside of what just works for you or that relatively rigid framework that you learned initially Hmm. it's a lot less flexibility that that point you made on usain bolt makes me think of jason semler god bless him you know he was the he was the strongest bench press in australia and then i coached another guy to be stronger than him uh and jason like i mean not not a dig at jason but he wouldn't make a great coach however he was very liberal with advice all the time loved to help people out like just absolutely loved it and and people would always ask him you know how do i get a big bench people still ask him how to get a bench but it would always be so comical in the gym where someone would go for a max fail and he'd be like yeah that was great but just push harder (laughs) <laughs> like the same thing is just like why aren't you running faster just run faster he, that's yeah. that was his answer to everything yep just push harder and yeah. even if you failed that way he's but next week 10 kilos more <laughs> that, that, jason that's not how it works um the you you mentioned earlier as well around uh the, the biases that we that we have as coaches or um we become we can can become blind uh to to the reality of uh of the difficulty in understanding cueing language because we know how to feel things and because yes. we know what to do and i talk yeah. about this a lot when i'm teaching coaches how to cue or cueing uh, frameworks is that we should always think about how we can get the cue wrong not get the cue right because if you hear the best cue in the world or you, you you're watching a great coach at a competition you hear them cueing the same thing over and over about setting the shoulders on bench by pulling the bar apart you hear this thing and you're like oh they're using pull the bar apart to get a tighter upper back that makes a lot of sense i'm gonna try that so you get on the bench you pull the bar apart you're like fuck my upper back is working like crazy it's because you're using your upper back you're thinking about your upper back yeah your question should be can i pull the bar apart without doing anything with scapular attraction or whatever it is yeah. uh, and if you can do that well then that cue is not going to fly because someone will misinterpret it absolutely that and that's definitely something that i've over the years of talking to you about it and hearing you refine your systems also refined in the way i talk about it that idea of cueing closer to the action that you want because the further away from the action that you're looking for you're cueing the more likely you are to fuck it up at some point because there are a bunch of different things 
and I think that's where the idea of for me the idea of constraints and and that approach becomes really useful because sometimes I find even with the most simple well-targeted cue at, at exactly the right thing you just get someone who doesn't understand where they are in space right mm-hmm. they don't have an awareness enough of what you mean when you say these things just because they can't feel what's happening like literally just the other day for the first time in a while I I got to that point as I was saying to you before that I had a, a person doing some like their first or second coaching session we're going through some real basic like trap bar deadlift stuff we started on the floor with a trap bar deadlift and it was pretty fucking horrible uh raised it up a bit worked on some hinge stuff and finally got to a point where the most effective hinge drill we had was like using a you know like a brandon what's his name's vert pull like you know calf support bar yeah uh holding a plate like hugging a plate because the you know front loaded calf supported super constrained environment helped this person actually feel what moving their pelvis horizontally in space feels like mm. and that was the first time they'd got to a point and straight away it was like oh that feels a bit more intuitive everything else i'd set up until that point had made no sense to him whatsoever mm. and it's easy i think for coaches coaches even those who haven't done a ton of like deep dive exploration into moving in different planes and all that kind of stuff uh it's really easy to get to a point where like what do you mean you can't feel that or you don't know what i'm talking about or you you can't do that position have it that's where having constraints and that idea of putting them in a position where it is physically impossible for them to do anything other than exactly what you want Hmm. can be really really effective but it only works when you understand how to get there and what you're doing not the idea that that's the only way to do it yeah yeah yeah. Uh, what i what i tell coaches as well is like if you're trying to get a message across bracing this squeezing that you know putting your body in this sort of position your checkbox to say they can do it they have the ability to understand what you're saying is just their ability to try to do it if you can see them try to do it and there's some semblance of them digesting the language that you've said and moving in that direction that's it and you have to be willing to accept that and move on pretty quickly because if you're saying to this guy no no no, straighten your back hinge your hips push your hips back no you, th- this is wrong and you do that 20 times he's just going to think he's a piece of shit he's going to think he's not made for this where in reality he's just brand new and he just needs mm. practice and so it's like okay he's understanding what i'm saying let's move on to the next thing we know we need to strengthen this area and that area and as yeah. he gets better at that it'll get better over time it's just uh, like it's it's so funny with coaching sessions or even online coaching that people forget that making changes takes a long time like in the moment everyone's like i just want to fix it it's like but you know that's not how it works you know we're going to be fixing this for a very long time so you just have to be satisfied that your message is getting across and then you can move on from that otherwise you will get frustrated your frustration will show they'll get frustrated everyone loses you just have to be willing to see them try to do the thing okay you're trying to do it that's great let's move on to the next thing we know what we need to work on here uh, and I sort of have two points to touch on there. One is that I've really shied away from the idea of using the language of like progression and regression when it comes to exercise selection and, and movement choices in terms of uh, programs in general for exactly that reason is that it, I think it implies that, oh, like we've taken trap bar deadlifts and you can't do them. So we're regressing you to this. 
I just think that's a, a an unnecessary negative connotation towards it that immediately puts them on the defensive back foot of like, oh, maybe I am a bit shit at this. Yeah. Like in general, you're either probably going to be good at squatting really deep or hinging really well. The chances of you being great at both off the bat aren't excellent. So rather than describing it as we're regressing this movement, we're just picking a different option. It, you know, it's all about a, a scale of complexity and finding the one that's most appropriate for you at this point in time. Uh, the other point I had has completely left my stupid fucking brain. Well, the, the irony of that is that every exercise is kind of like a progression of something and a regression of something. Yeah. Like, and if, if we scale, like if I scale back and as a higher level powerlifter, look at my training, I do the regressions and the progressions of so many things. So it's not like, you know, moving someone onto a different exercise is taking them a step back. And if we, it's the power of language. If we use that language, you're sending a message to this person, which probably isn't the message that you're trying to send. Yeah. And that's actually reminded me nicely of my second point, which was the idea of um, like the perfect rep, right? I have done a, a concerted effort in the way I talk to people about technique, especially early on in the process in talking about the idea that like, we're not trying to make you perfect today. We're trying to give you a framework for the pursuit of perfection because ultimately in almost every case, perfect doesn't really exist because it's only going to be perfect until you put more weight on the bar or you do more reps or you're under more fatigue or, you know, there are a million different ways we can just make it not perfect very quickly. Uh, But in most cases, what we're trying to give you is those couple of key pointers that give you the framework for practicing the idea of a perfect rep and being able to then go away and practice the shit out of that until it becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people get caught up in this and i don't think it happens maybe as much as it used to but we get caught up in arbitrarily holding people back because their technique's not perfect yeah and you know you you end up in a position where you're letting perfect the idea of perfect which as i said to i don't think really exists in that context uh you're letting that get in the way of good enough and for most people good enough especially early on and especially if you've got a new coaching client who you're trying to sort of get bored into the process and and you know enjoy what they're doing you want to be able to sort of let them put the foot down as hard as they can as quickly as they can uh-huh. and so the more you can frame both the conversation around what you're doing in a technique session or or whatever the case may be but also then the way you choose exercises and loading patterns and all of that kind of stuff influences their ability to to actually give it some and, and work hard and, and see some results quickly and i think that the power of the buy-in in that in the coaching process is also often underestimated because we all want to be you know perfectionists and, and technical wizards and you end up in this position where this person feels like they're not making any progress and you might be able to see the changes in the nuance of their technique over the course of weeks but they don't necessarily feel it they don't feel like the same progression is there because the weight hasn't really moved and so suddenly they start questioning everything Mm. whereas if you give them something where they can be like all right cool i'm practicing this but then i'm fucking hanging off this and going hard well then that's going to feel a lot better for them because it feels like they're moving towards where they want to go yeah i I look at it similar but different in terms of the whole perfect rep thing uh, I would say absolutely a perfect rep or a perfect technique exists. The thing is, it's we make it up. We define yep. those parameters. So what's perfect in my head is probably different in your head or the next coach's head. Mm. And the idea of 
holding someone back to achieve the perfect looking rep is just ridiculous on every level it doesn't make any sense uh and because like the coaches i i person like i hear this spoken about a lot i don't i don't know if i've ever witnessed someone purposefully hold someone back like people obviously say this because it happens but i I don't think it's that common or i'd like to i'd really like to hope that it's not that common i feel Um, like it was more common maybe back in the day seven years ago yeah Yeah. when we all sort of really started getting into the idea of technique not just like fucking lift heavy all the time for sure uh for sure sort of you know it's the pendulum swing yeah 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 it's it's the whole squat you like lift a a lift a b thing yeah but now uh, we're at a point where technique doesn't matter and it doesn't exist it's all <laughs> self-organization it's just one big pendulum so uh, it's crazy it's crazy yeah. uh so yeah absolutely uh, perfect technique exists but any coach that's been coaching for more than three seconds should have the awareness to realize a the implication of slipping away from perfection is not only uh is not only not worth talking about like there are very limited implications to swinging away from perfection but it's also kind of necessary in the pursuit of the greater goal which is often strength yeah uh, like like you you cannot you cannot uh hold back training intensity and create the adaptations that you want from a strength perspective uh you're just not going to go anywhere it doesn't make any sense uh, but 100 percent right like the the irony now is the pendulum swinging in the other direction uh, it it fucking blows my mind that people can't see what they're saying when they're like there's no such thing as perfection stop chasing perfection self-organizing everyone's different everyone's individual but then they'll look at someone squatting or they'll analyze someone squatting like an elite lifter and be like oh that technique's perfect what pick one because there's got to be one or or the other or wow your squat is so nice your deadlift is so nice if it's what what makes it nice and why don't you get everyone to do that like it's it's very confusing to watch yeah that, and that's where for me i sort of sit on both ends of the spectrum in that i quite like the idea of self-organization and constraints-based stuff for the average person who just wants to train hard and have a good time in the gym and you know maybe kick ass on the weekends because that more general approach to training means you can be more generally okay at the lifts you don't need the the same level of perfection right if you just want to jog on the weekends you don't need to be a running wizard you probably just need to learn enough about how to run that it doesn't feel like garbage all the time yeah and then manage your load effectively so you can do what you want to be able to do right and that's that's sort of where i come from when i talk about that idea of not letting perfect get in the way of good enough is for the the vast majority of general population recreational you know lifters who maybe compete in a powerlifting comp a year or whatever that end of the spectrum i think can be a lot more let's just get you close enough and fucking Mm -hmm. work hard and have some have some fun the separation and i think the thing that a lot of people that you're you're referencing here miss is the the it's not a black and white thing it's not technique doesn't matter or it does it's a scale like anything yeah. right it's a sliding scale of complexity and priorities yep. if you want to be the best power lifter you can be absolutely you have to be pursuing the idea of technical perfection in every way you can because the whole name of the game is be really fucking good at squatting benching and deadlifting so you can effectively transfer as much force as you can into the bar in those movements Hmm. much like if you want to be really good at free throw free throw shooting in basketball 
you're going to spend a shitload of time practicing exactly the same routine. Mm. Watch any NBA player in the world and they will all set up with exactly the same process for themselves. Like in it, yes. that it is intra-personal uh, routine is, is consistent regardless because they've practiced the shit out of the perfect free throw. Mm. It looks a bit different for everyone, but the principles are all there and it's the same for everyone. Much mm. like the manifestation of squatting, benching and deadlifting Everyone looks a little bit different in most cases because they are all built a little bit differently and come to the table with different thing, different injury histories and all of that kind of stuff, especially in elite level where you get you know, the genetic outliers and the freak athletes. That's where the variance is actually probably more pronounced because you've you've taken the upper echelon, right? Mm. Whereas like in the middle, most people should kind of look the same because like you say, there is a, a definition of a, a, a perfect rep as a concept and we're all trying to get towards it but understanding where you sit on the spectrum from complete beginner just want to lift weights and have a good time through to elite level performer trying to eke out every little percentage they can as long as you recognize where you sit on that then you can i think have a more informed discussion about how much time and effort do you want to put into technique and skill and things like that yeah yeah yeah. it's it's just zooming out and seeing the bigger picture it's not the right tool for the right job it's the right tool for the right job for the right person at the right point in time there's, there's more exactly. to it and it's like you know what you're talking about the elite lifter versus the the average punter or something like that um uh, you know this this applies in in every scenario including the elite lifter i i think of times where i will program a particular exercise which i think is less effective than another exercise for doing a particular job however i'm more confident in the person's ability to perform this in a way that's meaningful mm. you know this there's so many times where we have to make these calls based on what constraints we've got working with certain people uh, and the same thing will go with compliance enjoyability consistency you know everything has to be taken into account when we're monitoring and measuring someone's progress over time and it's it's often not as simple as looking at things in in singularity and at, at one point in time we that's and that's why coaches exist because we've got this yeah. foresight because we've done it for a long time with a lot of people but I, and i think that's the art of coaching for sure know? like I, Absolutely. I think that's it's the greg knuckles combo of um art and science of lifting his two books that i you know i read ages ago but i've that was maybe the first time I'd heard it really articulated as those two sides of the coin. And like yeah. really a, a good coaching system is both. It is heavy on science and an understanding of how it all works and the data-driven approaches and all of that kind of stuff. But none of that means anything if you can't effectively communicate the message yes. you're looking for. It, it None of it means anything if you can't actually get people to do what you want them to do all of these things that often come across as a coach being frustrated at how shit their client is. Yeah. And actually it's like a really nice reflection of how shit you are as a coach. I, sure. I said this to someone the other day after fucking um, shout out Tom Musgrove, who we did a whole episode on lifetime intermediate space exclusively on having a conversation. I, I had with him uh, who <laughs> competed at the APL States on Sunday, nice. uh, hit a lifetime PB in the deadlift of 280 uh narrowly missed a, a big bench and fucking missed the rack hole on his first squat like oh, a no. fucking idiot uh we and then moments later like literally the next lifter in the thing 
uh, Mike Eichholzer worked, walked up and did exactly the same thing, but with the <laughs> squat command. So between the two of them, they got a whole squat. And I like you can't see it in the live feed, but I literally have my head in my hands, like head on my knees, standing up. I was like, what the fuck are you two idiots doing? Anyway, uh, I lost my train of thought. Fuck. <laughs> well, while you think of it, it reminds me of, of Kevin Boatwood. He's one of the, the legends here. He lives between Melbourne and Gold Coast, and he, he trains with us when he's on the Gold Coast. He's, he's 70 plus, and he's been competing in powerlifting since powerlifting was born kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so he's done a, a million comps, and he did pro roll bench only. Bench 140 at over 70 years old. He's a, he's a weapon. Fucking hell. That's crazy. Uh, but he, he his first uh his first bench he just didn't wait for the press command at all he just yeah. went down went back up like you've been doing this for 30 years and the calls haven't really changed buddy <laughs> like yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> um where was i going lifetime intermediates fuck it's just completely gone we were talking about the art of coaching yes the art and science of coaching you're talking about them getting lifetime pb deadlift narrowly missing yeah, a big it's, bench it's the bit it's the bit right before that that's just fucking lost me oh I just i think it was more about the idea of being able to work with the person you're working with in a way that allows you to modify things for them like you can have the greatest system in the world you can have the most perfectly planned out training program but none of that means anything if you can't adjust for the fact that that person maybe doesn't do well squatting twice a week or whatever the whatever that constraint is that they have if you can't manipulate your system and your and that's where you know we talk about the idea of coaching principles and and those sort of things that i feel like for me it's really only been in the last six or seven years where i've actually been able to put that into words because i had this understanding of it in my head but i couldn't communicate it very well and as i've spent more time thinking about it that's what it was it was the fucking idea of making mistakes uh i said to him as he left with his partner and and child you know maybe next time you won't fuck it up or maybe you know i'll actually do my job and you'll get the calls right he was like no no i feel like that one could be blamed on me and i said to him no the thing about coaching is when you do well it is absolutely unequivocally your achievement and when you do poorly i fucked up yeah. That, and that's always the way my brain will work because all I did was open the gateway for you to walk through it in terms of getting really good and, and making heaps of progress and all that. But if something fucked up, it was because I didn't do my job very well. Mm. And I think if you can have, as a coach, I think at least, if you can have that as your default answer, that's how you get better at coaching. Mm-hmm because the sooner someone fucks it up instead of defaulting to why won't this person listen to what i'm saying and Uh, move the way i want them to or why won't they do these things the first thing you have to say is why can't i get this message across what am i doing that isn't actively making that connection and why can't i meet that person where they are because i think if you have that frame of mind much like if you have the frame of mind when it comes to technique of how can i be better what could i have done better what aspects am i Mm. missing you're going to make better progress right because you're always hunting for the next thing to be able to improve upon for sure so it's that idea of extreme ownership and it's not in a degrading way it's in a way of like okay here's what happened how can i be better as a coach to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future yeah Um, and i think that attitude we've taken which is very very degrading to ourselves has served us really well yes put a more positive spin on it for yourself if you find yourself spiraling into 
into depression. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a good place to end. Yes, I agree. Amazing. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Episodes weekly. See ya. Yeah.